Welcome in, Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. Appreciate all of you. Uh, I have got, right off the top, I want to tell you, I hope that you will go out and buy American uh, Playbook, but uh, we've got some tour dates for you. Uh, I'm going to be in Cleveland. I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'm going to be in Salt Lake City. I'm going to be in Houston. I'm going to be in Tampa, Florida. I'm going to be in Nashville, and we're doing a big event to finish the night before the Republican presidential uh, debate, the first one, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the Pabst Theater. I am told that tickets are going fast there at the Pabst Theater in Milwaukee. Should be a really fun night. Everybody who buys tickets to that event will get a copy of my book, um, and I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about a lot of these events. Uh, but uh, the book comes out on August 8th. It is American Playbook. I want to open it number one on the New York Times bestseller list. That means that we have to sell way more copies, way more copies than the left-wing uh, the left wing books that will be coming out. This book comes out on August 8th. You can go buy it now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere online. Also, if you're not a reader, there is a 10-hour audiobook compilation as well. So if you like to listen uh, to, uh, to, to me, I read every word in this book. I think you are really going to enjoy it, and I want to open it number one overall on the New York Times bestseller list. This is my goal. May not get it, may not be able to reach it, but that is my goal on August 8th to have the best-selling nonfiction book in America for that first week. Uh, you guys can help make it happen. Uh, let's uh, all uh, work in that way. I got a bunch of different things to discuss with you, but I want to start uh, right off the top here. Uh, I want to start with a big idea, big story. So when I was in college, I went to Washington, D.C. for college. I went to George Washington University. I was a freshman when the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. The idea that the president of the United States, then Bill Clinton, was potentially having an affair with Monica Lewinsky. And this was back in the olden days, uh, back in the olden days when news sometimes broke on the front page of a newspaper. And I remember going down, buying the Washington Post, it was a quarter, sound like a real old man now, legitimately the Washington Post was a quarter a day. Uh, and I brought that newspaper back up to my dorm room, freshman year. And on the front page is a emblazoned headline suggesting that Clinton had had an affair with a White House intern, Monica Lewinsky. I believe that was in January 1998, something like that. Over the next couple of years, the Washington Post aggressively covered all of the details surrounding the Clinton-Monica Lewinsky affair and all of the challenges associated with it, Okay. Why is this important? Um, they broke the story in many ways. The Washington Post broke a story that was designed to harm the sitting president of the United States, Bill Clinton. And they did that, I think, because at the time, the Washington Post had a commitment to unbiased journalism. They saw their coverage of the Clinton presidency as an extension of the coverage that they had had of Richard Nixon during Watergate. And the Post, obviously, with Woodward and Bernstein, brought down Richard Nixon, and I think in some level they thought we might bring down Bill Clinton. They were doing their best at the time 
Yes, they were left-leaning paper, but they were doing their best to cover that story to the extent that they broke it. I want you to compare that. If you want to think about the evolution in media, think about what has changed. We got really significant evidence, blockbuster accusations, that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were paid millions of dollars by a Ukrainian company, Burisma, to force out a prosecutor and to do the bidding of a foreign company in Ukraine. Millions of dollars in bribes. While Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States, and Joe Biden himself even bragged in 2018 that he withheld a billion dollars in loan guarantees to Ukraine until they fired a prosecutor that he didn't like that was involved in, uh, in, in, in investigations involving Ukraine's Burisma company. It's a big story. It's a blockbuster story. You combine that also with two IRS whistleblowers coming out and saying Joe Biden's Department of Justice did not allow a full and fair investigation of Hunter Biden to take place and that there was preferential treatment given as part of a sweetheart deal to Hunter Biden with all of the crimes that he committed. We also got an FBI agent testifying under oath. The IRS whistleblowers were under oath as well. The FBI agent testified under oath that the FBI knew the Hunter Biden laptop was real when the October story with the New York Post came out and that they instructed everybody to say no comment when they were asked by Twitter, Facebook, and other big tech companies whether the Hunter Biden allegations inside the New York Post story were true and whether the Hunter Biden laptop was in fact real or was Russian disinformation. Also, again, millions of dollars in payments for Burisma. I want you to think about how all that shook out. All of those are blockbuster revelations. In my opinion, all of those are bigger stories than Watergate. To me, much bigger stories than whether or not Bill Clinton got a blowjob from an intern. The Washington Post isn't covering, by and large, any of what I just laid out about Joe Biden. Neither is the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC. They're all ignoring all of these blockbuster revelations surrounding Joe Biden. Think about what's happened in the media. This is a big part of There's a big discussion on this in this book. But my thesis, how does that happen? How do we get to a place where the Washington Post, democracy dries in darkness, New York Times, all the news that's fit to print? How do we get to a place where those newspapers, where CNN and MSNBC, by and large, won't cover any of what I just told you? And if you say, well, this is not a big story, it doesn't matter. Well, actually it does. Because over half of Democrat voters, according to polls, still believe that the Hunter Biden laptop is a made-up story and that it's all Russian disinformation. Over half of them buy a fundamental lie that the Democrats have ceded to try to keep Hunter and Joe Biden from having to be responsible for their actual behavior. This was Russian disinformation. 51 intelligence agents wrote a letter saying that this laptop had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. It's all a lie. It's real. Hunter Biden's laptop is 100% real. The FBI knew it was 100% real. They didn't tell us. 
according to that whistleblower testimony. All right, what's going on here? How is this happening? I'll tell you, it's actually politics. It's also business. You know how the Washington Post and the New York Times make their money these days? It's not by advertising. Back in 1998, when I was a kid in college 25 years ago, the Washington Post cost a quarter because they could charge so much for advertising, they wanted the biggest possible audience to be able to consume their product. That meant you had to cover the news as it existed because you wanted the biggest possible audience. What's happened? What's happened in the last four or five years since Trump got elected in 2020, 2016? What's happened in that six-year window? The entire business model of the Washington Post and the New York Times has turned from speaking to a big audience and telling the truth, even if a Democrat president like Bill Clinton might be the target, heck, even if Hillary Clinton might be a target. We're still going to cover it because we have a responsibility in news to basically a fan model of media consumption. It was a light bulb moment for me. Because I am, as you guys know, a big sports fan. I am, as many of you may be, a subscriber to fan-based sites. I'm a Tennessee fan subscriber to a site called VolQuest. They write about Tennessee recruiting. Tennessee got a four-star commitment today, a five-star commitment uh, two days ago. It's been a good recruiting run. You know what those fan sites never do? Break negative news stories about the teams that their subscribers support. Do you know why? Because if a fan site put a team on probation based on their investigative work, then the fan site's business would collapse. Buckeye Grove, or whatever it's called, is never going to break a huge Ohio State negative story. Bama Online is not breaking a negative Alabama story. Because the business imperative is subscriptions to fans, to diehards. It's what the New York Times and the Washington Post are in the business of now. The Washington Post and the New York Times are effectively left-wing political fan sites. If they cover the Democrat Party too aggressively, they lose their subscribers. And if their subscribers leave, then their business collapses. In 1998, when Bill Clinton was supposedly getting a blowjob from an intern, the Washington Post wanted the biggest possible audience imaginable because advertising was the primary metric upon which they grew their business. How do you grow advertising? As many eyeballs on ads as possible. You can increase your rates. The revenue is better. The paper is more profitable. Today, as we talk about the IRS whistleblowers and the fact that the FBI knew the laptop was real and the fact that we now have substantial allegations that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were paid by Burisma, those stories are mostly mostly being ignored because they could bring down the home team. The fans are going to be unhappy. And once you have this light bulb moment go off, once you understand the business imperatives of the Washington Post and the New York Times, which drive much of the national discourse in this country still, you will understand, oh, wait a moment, 
now I see why they're not covering this. Because they're afraid. They look at the data and the analytics every day. When they write, when they write Trump is Hitler, subscriptions go up. When they write Joe Biden is doing a great job and the Democrats are the best people ever and they don't believe in bad, malign information online, we're the good guys, subscriptions go up. They can't tell the truth anymore because if they do, their business collapses. Subscription model at the New York Times and the Washington Post has turned those two institutions into left-wing fan sites. It's no different than being a subscriber to a Tennessee uh, site or a USC site or a Florida Gator or a Syracuse, whatever the fan site is, Michigan, Ohio State. Never in history have any of those sites, to my knowledge, ever broken a negative story that actually left their fans super angry. That's not their business. Their business is to make fans happy. And that now is the business model of the Washington Post and the New York Times. Just think about it. I was just on Fox News, why I was a little bit late today, talking with Martha McCollum. Think about this for a minute. This is all way more significant than Watergate. This is all way more significant than whether these allegations against Joe Biden. Way more significant than whether Bill Clinton got a blowjob from an intern. Yet those, uh, by and large, sites are not covering it. MSNBC, CNN, same thing. Viewers turn off if you tell them their team is doing something bad. Right? Think about this. Donald Trump has been held more accountable for Joe Biden's allegations of impropriety in Ukraine than Joe Biden has. Trump was impeached for merely asking Ukraine to look into the details surrounding these potential payments to, from Burisma to Joe Biden and for the details surrounding the firing of this prosecutor. Shouldn't we want to know that? I think that's why Trump was right when he said this was a perfect phone call. Because shouldn't we want to know if our leaders are being bribed with millions of dollars in payments to their crackhead son and themselves in order to do favors from their American political office for foreign businesses? It's a pretty big deal. Yet the silence speaks volumes. And I just want, as we roll into the weekend, all of you to kind of marinate on what I just laid out, on that thought on that analysis, on that discussion. Because I think once you understand the business imperatives, you'll understand where the silence comes from. If you upset, and there's evidence, strong evidence of this, if you upset the base and you tell them something other than Trump is Hitler, they leave. There's good evidence on this, by the way. You know the Washington Post has lost a lot. I think it's over 500,000 subscribers, a substantial portion of their overall subscription business since Joe Biden got elected president. Many people wanted to pay the Washington Post to tell them how awful Donald Trump was. Once Trump wasn't in office, the interest in the Washington Post articles collapsed. Just word, I, It's important to think about this and understand it and where it's coming from. We'll be right back in a moment, but first, this break. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Um, the trial date's been set, May 24th, uh, down in South Florida. Judge Eileen Cannon has got this. And I just saw this from Caitlin Collins at CNN. Caitlin Collins, I don't dislike Caitlin Collins, by the way. I kind of like her. Uh, she's a Bama fan. That's the worst thing I can say about her. And obviously, we have different political opinions. But uh, Caitlin Collins said, Trump's new attorney, John Lauro, says the first thing he will ask for are, quote, cameras in the courtroom. Uh, another quote, I would hope that the Department of Justice would join in that effort so we can take the curtain away and all Americans can see what's happening. That is Caitlin Collins. Uh, I agree. Look, the general proposition is there are not cameras in federal courtrooms. That's a longstanding prohibition. Uh, in fact, for those of you who are around my age, you'll remember if you went into a federal courtroom, they would actually put uh, a sticker over your phone if your phone had the ability to take pictures. I used to be a, uh, go into the federal courthouse when I practiced in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and these were like back in the day in rudimentary phones where like when you would take a picture like 04, 05, 06, and you couldn't even really see that well before everybody had you know fabulous cameras on their phones. They would cover the lens because you weren't allowed to take pictures inside of federal courtrooms. I think we need to have, uh, I think we need to have cameras in this trial in the event that it starts May 24th uh, down in South Florida. It'll be first of all riveting television. Everybody will have to cover it: MSNBC, CNN, uh, and uh, uh, and Fox News. Everybody. I will even have to figure out how to cover it on the Clay and Buck show next year as a part of this. But to me, it is a uh, no-brainer that there should be courtrooms, uh, should be cameras present in the courtrooms to allow everybody to see the entire proceeding. I would hope that the Department of Justice would also agree uh, with that. I actually believe my legal analysis of the allegations against Trump in South Florida is I don't think there's any way he's going to get convicted. And if you are watching me right now and you are a potential juror in South Florida, I'll tell you the same thing I would decide. If I were on that jury, I would nullify the verdict. I would not support uh, the, the sitting president of the United States Justice Department trying to put uh, a, a top political contender against him in prison for the rest of his life. I would vote not guilty. I expect that we will get a hung jury there, which Trump will take as vindication of the Justice Department coming after him uh, in a way that was entirely motivated by politics. Again, that's my prediction in South Florida. We'll see what happens with the potential charges uh, in Washington, D.C. when we see them. Uh, the charges in New York City are garbage. Um, so I, I, I think that's uh, important to, uh, to contemplate. Um, so that is the story as it pertains to Judge Eileen Cannon down there. I uh, also want to talk about this. This is a big story. Uh, in the world of sports and sports media, and I'm going to try to pull it up. I think I've got it open on my phone right now. Uh, this is according to CNBC uh, about an hour ago. ESPN held talks with the NBA and the NFL in search for strategic partner, uh, sources say. Uh, and ESPN has had early talks with the NBA and NFL. I'm reading from CNBC. That could include the league uh, equity stake in the business, um, and uh, Bob Iger has talked about a strategic partner in ESPN in an interview last week. Um, and so all of this is, uh, is consequential, I think, by and large, in a really significant way. Um, and, and so uh, I, will, uh, I will let you know um, how this pertains kind of uh, going forward. Um, hold on, let me text my 
Buck is is blowing me up on the phone here. Let me text him back. So in the ESPN um, in the ESPN scenario at play here, I think this is emblematic of how substantially difficult the overall environment is as it pertains to uh, as it pertains to ESPN. They've gone from 100 million subscribers, and they're on the path down to somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50, uh, about 50 million. And if you look at that and contemplate it, 100 million to 50 million has destroyed ESPN's business. And we've talked a lot about Disney and the overall situation that is out there and the challenges that Disney faces. Bob Iger, I think the math is pretty clear here. I don't think Disney can afford to continue to buy rights. And nobody is talking about this, and it's because I think a lot of sports media don't understand basic business. You can criticize me for a lot, uh, certainly. I understand business way better than most people who do content on a day-to-day basis. And so Disney, through ESPN, has been using all the money that they got from cable and satellite subscriptions to be able to pay the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the SEC, every game that you watch on ESPN is basically rented by ESPN from the sports leagues themselves. So ESPN is the middleman. They are paying billions of dollars a year in sports rights for the right to, for instance, put on the NBA Finals or the NBA Playoffs or the college football playoff. All of these different uh relationships are the ESPN is the middleman and what's happening now and again a lot of people still have not seen this yet is ESPN is trying to say well yes you're right because a long time they argued with me they said oh court cutting is not a real thing Clay Travis has no idea what he's talking about I mean they they tried to make this argument for years and clearly court cutting is occurring and ESPN is going to go from like 100 million subscribers to around 50 million so their revenue is going to be cut in half uh, in the next three or four years, probably five years, whatever the math's going to be. And it may go lower than 50 million, right? I don't know how many eventual cable and satellite subscribers there's going to be. And ESPN has tried to sell this idea, well, yeah, now we're losing a lot of cable and satellite subscribers, but we're just going to pivot and go to ESPN+, Plus, which is our streaming platform. Problem is, ESPN has lost through Disney. Total, Disney has $11 billion in streaming. So you've got a collapsing cable and satellite business. You've got a streaming business in ESPN+, Plus, which is losing money. You've actually got two bad businesses now instead of just one bad business. So what is ESPN doing? They're also staring down the pike where they've got monster increases for what they had to pay for the NFL. Their NBA deal is about to end, and the NBA has got their hand out saying, you need to pay us way more money. And while all of this is happening... ESPN parent company, Disney, is losing money hand over fist. So Bob Iger last week admitted that they were potentially looking for strategic partners with ESPN. ESPN, 80% owned by Disney, 20% by the Hearst Company. A lot of people forget about that. Now ESPN is trying to rescue itself by getting the NBA and the and or the NFL to take an equity stake in ESPN. Let me ask you this. Why does that make any sense at all to the NBA or the NFL? 
the NBA already has the NBA network or whatever it's called. The NFL already has the NFL network. They're seeing the cable and subscription numbers coming down substantially. So they know what the overall marketplace is. Why would they decide to put themselves in bed with a middleman when they could just go direct to consumer themselves if they think that their business is so valuable? This is what I'm talking about. ESPN is in peril and nobody's talking about it. Not just peril of, oh, their business is going to be challenging, as in they could go bankrupt. The business fundamentals here are a disaster because you have, just think about it, like just from a graph perspective, you had 100 million cable and satellite subscribers. That's the money that you used to buy all the rights. Now those are cut in half. That means that you have half the revenue that you used to, but you're going to have to figure out how to buy NBA, NFL, all of these other league rights now that you have half the money. And simultaneously, you are also having to pay for streaming at ESPN+, and you're going to have to charge way more. You and me and every sports fan has been getting subsidized by lots of people who never watch ESPN. The vast majority of cable and satellite consumers don't watch ESPN on a daily basis, but they all paid for it. That free ride is ending. So now everybody is going to have to pay for what they actually watch. A standalone ESPN channel would cost each of us probably 25 or 30 bucks a month if ESPN were going to make any money off of it. Who's going to pay that? How many of you out there right now would pay $350 or $400 to ESPN? Was it actually an interesting test? Do you know how many people subscribe to the NFL Sunday ticket? About 2 million. The NFL most desired programming in the entire nation, most successful pro sports league, NFL Sunday ticket gives you every game out of market. So if you're, I live in Nashville, I get to watch the Titans for free on regular television. Every other game, basically, I would get on the NFL Sunday ticket. Only 2 million people pay. NFL Sunday ticket tossed, you know, $250, $300, whatever it is. ESPN's in trouble. The free ride is over. Their business is collapsing. Why do the NFL and the NBA need a middleman? If I'm Roger Goodell or if I'm Adam Silver, I'm nervous about my revenue going forward, particularly if I'm Adam Silver. Doing a strategic partnership with ESPN actually feels desperate because it would suggest that neither of these leagues feels like they can monetize their consumers directly. Why do you need ESPN? Remember, the only reason ESPN exists is because it's a middleman. The NFL does their games, they sell them to ESPN, and then ESPN marks up the price to make more money by taking those games to you and me. Why does that middleman markup make sense? Why does the ESPN business model make sense at all? The NFL and the NBA, if they thought they could go direct to consumer, could cut ESPN out and put all of that money into their pocket themselves. The only reason that either of those leagues would do a partnership with 
ESPN is because they're actually starting to panic and recognize that the number of people that are willing to pay for their product is actually not enough to support the underlying economics of their product. That is potentially a monster issue for the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, to a lesser extent the NFL, because the NFL by and large, other than Amazon uh, games, still puts most of their games on traditional television. But this is a pretty strong sign that Disney is desperate to try to figure out a profitable path forward for ESPN, and there might not be one at all. ESPN is effectively trying to sell itself to the NFL and the NBA. Disney's trying to get out of what is a rapidly collapsing business before the value to ESPN goes even lower. It's a big deal. It's a big story. And I still think most people don't understand. They can't see around the curve and recognize that the train's barreling down the road and they're about to get flat. All right. I love all of you. My name is Clay Travis. Do the SEC uh, media days uh, the predictions came out. Only thing that stood out to me was a bunch of people said Vanderbilt was going to win the SEC. I don't know if they met, accidentally did their ballots wrong or if it's just a fun, hey, look at me moment. Uh, not surprisingly, Alabama, close favorites over uh, uh, over LSU in the SEC West. I picked LSU. I think LSU, Jaden Daniels, is going to be better than what Bama has at the quarterback position. I've got LSU winning the West. Uh, on the East, Georgia, prohibitive favorite. Tennessee, uh, second. South Carolina, third. Probably the fall of the Florida Gators is the most interesting part of all this. I'll hit you with these details um, uh, in particular. This came out a little bit earlier uh, in the in the day. Um, again, Georgia predicted to win the SEC East. Tennessee, second. South Carolina, third. Kentucky, fourth. All four of those teams got votes uh, to uh, to potentially be uh, the winner of the SEC East. Kentucky got one, South Carolina three, Tennessee 14, Georgia, like I said, prohibitive favorite at 265. Florida Gators all the way down to fifth. Billy Napier going to have a rough season this year, it looks like. Missouri in sixth place. Vanderbilt picked to finish last, but with eight votes to win the SEC East. I would love to know what happened there. Bama, LSU, A&M, uh, all uh, one, two, three. Ole Miss in the four spot. Arkansas in the five. Auburn in the six. Mississippi State. Every team in the SEC West, except for Ole Miss, got at least one vote uh, to win the championship, uh, to win the uh, the Western uh, Division. Uh, just remember the last year of the Western and the Eastern Divisions in the SEC. Georgia, the overwhelming favorite to win the SEC. Alabama in second place, no great surprise there. LSU third, Tennessee four, Vandy, Arkansas, Auburn, A&M, Mississippi State, and South Carolina all after that. Again, I would say the biggest uh, story here, uh, five votes for Vanderbilt to be the SEC champions. There are a lot of drinkers uh, in Bro on Broadway in Nashville. Maybe some people hit the bottle a little bit early before they put in their votes on all of that. Love all of you guys. Hope you have fantastic uh, weekends. I'll be back with you. Same bat time, same bat channel. Encourage you if you can. Uh, go buy uh, this book. Again, I'm going to be on the road all over the place starting August 8th. Uh, and uh, appreciate all of you. Be back on Monday. Have fabulous weekends.